I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to the Junk Time AFL podcast bi-week live show. We are coming to you from Wayne Jackson Studios. My name is Michael Chamberlain and joining me is a man who is demanding an inquiry into the umpiring of the EJ Witten game. <laughs> it's Adam Rosenbachs. It's a fucking disgrace. Like, did you see that game, Michael? The Allies were six goals up mm-hmm. and they lost. <laughs> like, how does that happen? Like, that, that completely... Like, the Allies got six goals up. I fucking loaded up on them. I was about to say, right. I did the same thing. No, I put all my money down for yeah, them. Yeah, I had a multi. I had a multi with the Allies. I had the Allies <laughs> into ISIS and... <laughs> really? What's ISIS's home ground? It, it's getting smaller. It's this, yeah. the, 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 the wings aren't as big as they used to be. The Aleppo cricket ground? <laughs> yeah. The ACG, yes. Yeah. So anyway, uh, I was very unhappy. I thought the umpiring was pathetic. I thought the, uh, the coaching was terrible. Wayne Carey should never coach again. Yeah. Uh, Tim Watson will never coach again. Um, <laughs> And it was horrible. But did you, did you see the game? It was a lot of... Uh, it looked like a lot of players, if you watched it, a lot of players who uh, maybe had let themselves go. There was a, a little bit, bit of that. Post- it, was like, it was like people who had... Uh, a bunch of people running around who had peanut allergies. <laughs> and they'd all been touched by peanut butter at some stage in the game and they'd all just swollen up. Yeah, but it looked like a lot of them look. weren't trying either. Like, I reckon not only should be umpiring... Yeah. Ter- and, uh, it should be tanking uh, interrogations. No, well. it's disgusting. I it's, heard Chris it's... Connolly's on the line for his job. <laughs> Uh, it's brought our game into disrepute. You know what they should do, though? They should give each team uh, a two-and-a-half-tonne weight limit. <laughs> so that way, it's up to you how you spend it. If you want Damien Monkhurst on the ground, then you've got 15 players. That's it. <laughs> it's a great cause. So we... <laughs> there is that, yeah. We're going to bring in our first uh, guest for this evening. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, you know, you know him, you love him. Please welcome on stage, Essendon fan, Lawrence Mooney. The Moon Man. Thank you very much. How are you, Lawrence? Uh, I'm great. And uh, it's been a while since I've been on uh, Junk Time. Uh, that's the name of this podcast, isn't it? You're yes, both, yes, no. You're both looking at me really surprised. You've done your research. Um, and uh, I came up the stairs and you've been uh, endorsed by the AFL. I can see that with the colours and the, the logo, AFL sponsorship. Yeah. I think legally that might be dubious. <laughs> yeah. OK. Don't tell so, Gil, yeah. OK? Gil McLaughlin's not here, so we're safe for now. So Gil's uh, elsewhere. Yeah. You know, ticked <laughs> off on that was... Uh... I don't know, I was going to say something disparaging. Yeah. I thought, why well, just talking to a bloke? For the fucking hell of it on a Sunday morning, so I won't do You know, that. ticked off on that was uh, Simon Lethlean. But yeah. um, we had to really put out to get that. So <laughs> we it was worth the story, it. Is the story behind the, uh, the AFL affair, because there was two men had to leave... Yes. Uh, ..that there was this rumour going around... Sorry, I'll address you. G'day, guys. <laughs> uh, <laughs> 
Oh, hello, I didn't hear you come in. Um, so this is what I heard. There was this, you know, rumour swirling around and the, the, uh, the Herald Sun had put out kind of a fishing exercise earlier in the week, like AFL executive in an affair, you know, embroiled in a scandal. And that uh, the second of the two men went into Gillen and said, listen, it's me, uh, I want to fess up. And Gillen went, oh, no, it's not you. <laughs> But you've got to fuck off as well, mate. <laughs> bum, bum. Same Let's... thing happened to Ali Faour. He was like, oh, I snapped someone on the weekend. He's like, ah, oh, fuck, it wasn't you. No. <laughs> Let's talk about the next... Ali Faour. What a... Okay. Hey, no heckling. Yeah, <laughs> a member of the Faour family. No, you can't come in. <laughs> <laughs> I remember my first drink too, mate. Now... Yeah. <laughs> Uh, talk about the big story of the week. Dusty Martin re-signed to the Tigers for... Is it seven years? Seven, seven years. years. We've got any Tigers years. fans in? Okay. Just the two of them. <laughs> really? Uh, at uh, seven years at $1.25 million, when he was offered 10.5, that Fine adds enough. up to, what, 8.25 over seven years, and I think uh, North Melbourne would offer him $10 million. But uh, why would you go to North Melbourne <laughs> yeah. and play, you know... Bottom of the ladder for the next couple of years. Yeah, but you get Good Friday. <laughs> it's not bad in front of 15,000 people at Eddie Had. That's it's every player's dream. But he, uh, he did head to and New Zealand. And of course, Zealand. they can serve meat pies on Good Friday, can't they? Yeah, absolutely. Because there's no meat in there's them. There's no there. meat in them, no. <laughs> he, did, uh, he did head to New Zealand to talk it over with Dad. His manager, Ralph Carr, is that right? Yes. Yeah, yeah headed over to talk to Dad. Former... And, um, Former husband of Tina Arena. Fun fact. Yeah, fun fact. Pop uh, that in your head. Because when they were playing pool in the pool room, there's a Tina Arena gold album. Oh, really? Uh, in the background. So Ralphie, you know, they, the relationship might have ended, but Ralphie still thanks for the cash. Uh, <laughs> this house is awesome. I don't know so. if you, I don't know if you saw this. There was a beautiful moment actually when Dusty uh, went to leave uh, his father in New Zealand to come back here, and his dad hugged him, and he said, "Best of luck for the finals. Uh, I'm very proud of you." And then a really touchy moment when he then said to him, um, and can you hide this blowtorch for me? And I thought that was very But it's a shame sweet. his dad couldn't see him off of the airport because his uh, ankle, ankle bracelet, bracelet would go off. Uh, so he couldn't... I, I, uh... We're going to get killed. Yeah, no, 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 get there killed. is no doubt about that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We're not long for this earth. I thought it was very touching, that uh, interview with Dusty's dad. On a couple of levels, I, I found it quite ironic, first of all. You know, Dusty's dad comes on and he's got a big face tattooed. I was like, fuck, he... And he's a massive unit and his hands are very, very heavily tattooed. And it's like, oh, and he was deported. Fuck, he's a serious unit. And... Uh, but then, you know, he's talking about his son and to see a man with a heavily tattooed hand brush a tear away. I was like, <laughs> oh. <laughs> so much happening in that little picture. But then he said of his son uh, and, you know, why he was staying at Richmond, that uh, Dustin's a very uh, shy kind of a guy. He needs comfort and he needs security. He was really a father talking about his son in a touching way. And he said, and Richmond have offered that to him. And, you know, he, he singled out Trent Cotchin in a good way. Uh, <laughs> for a biker. Um, <laughs> to say, you know, what a remarkable young man he was and what a close friend he was of Dustin's. And obviously there's a great kind of, like, collegiate spirit there that Dustin Martin didn't want to leave. And so. I guess also, like, uh, the one thing that his dad would preach would be loyalty. Like, you never... The, 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 the club that he plays for... Uh, 
You don't fucking leave. I think... Um, <laughs> I think the opposite of... Yeah. You don't the opposite leave of loyalty is low rat dog. <laughs> You're going to fucking die. I think... Yeah, so loyalty is important. Oh, God. Now, tell us your footy chops. What, what, uh, were, you, were you a superstar at high school? Talk us no, through your football No, I was... Uh, um, I think the official term is retarded. <laughs> and, but I loved playing footy, loved getting out there and running around. But I played for Bayswater out in the Eastern District Football League. And, uh, Fuck. Uh, I was... Uh, yeah, probably my best year was uh, in 1975, under 10s. And uh, there was two teams. There was the 10A and 10B, and never cracked it for the A team. Really? Play 10B. Uh, always in the Magoos. Always in the Magoos. Yeah. But for me, that was just glory days. I was just running around with people who were more spastic than I am, <laughs> and so I could really shine. And I played full forward all year, and then they dropped me for the grand final. Oh, no way, too. To what? You might need to beat the name out here, because, uh, you know, I don't want to be a trigger for anyone's emotions, but <laughs> Ramey Backer's dad died. And uh, <laughs> as a fucking make good, they whack him into full forward. <laughs> as a fucking, they're all grief stricken. <laughs> and. Uh, <laughs> And I've got to say, in retrospect, <laughs> the bitterness and vengeance I felt not only toward Ramey, but the whole less, uh, and his dad football too. club <laughs> and his dearly departed father was a great preparation for show business. Um, <laughs> and really feel that standing me in good stead. But uh, at the end of the year, see, uh, what happened was some of the under 10 A's on the Sunday would go and play in Mombolk. They'd go into the Dandenongs and play for another side because an ex-Bayswater boy had gone to Mombolk and said to a few of his mates, why don't you come up? Is that so, living the dream out, out east? To go from Bayswater to Mombolk? Oh, well, yeah, to go up the hill. <laughs> <laughs> and play for a club where jam is made. Um, <laughs> that is living the dream. So... <laughs> So, uh, at the end of the year, they had a Bayswater versus Mombolk game. And so the guys that would normally play for Mombolk decided they were going to play for Bayswater and Mombolk were down. So it's like, well, you can have Mooney. It's like, all oh, right. Like, the grand final wasn't enough. <laughs> Just put me in a different jumper and tell me to run around with a bunch of blokes that I've never met before. Well, I fucking starred that day. <laughs> I, I kicked 2-2 in a 6-6 all draw. And after the game, Clive Fairburn, the team manager, I was coming off the ground, he goes, why don't you ever play for us like that? And... <laughs> <laughs> to, a to a 10-year-old. To a 10-year-old. To a 10-year-old, and you said, mate, I, I killed the other blokes, Dad, I'll fucking take care of you. <laughs> you fucking watch yourself, Clive. <laughs> no, and that... To a 10-year-old. Now, that happened 42 years ago. And I'm still trying to come up with the best possible comeback. That's how much I hold on to things. And I've never got any better than shut up, you fat cunt. Um, which I think maybe I should have said, and I'll stick with that as the, as the best possible. Ignore all of what I just said. Yeah. All of it. 
What about at high school? Were there any any AFL players that came through the Bayswater well, area? Um, or the EFL? At Whitefriars, there was a couple who have gone on to, uh, you know, one of the most prolific uh, game players, um, John... Um, fuck. <laughs> Rusey will know, because uh, he coached him for Blakely? a while. Blakey? Blakey, yeah. Blakey, yeah. Yeah, yeah. He played about... <laughs> He played about 360, I think. Yeah, and uh, still coaching. It's, whose box is he in, Rusey? Sydney. Sydney. He sits alongside yeah. John Longmire. That's right, yeah. Well, him. You love him. Uh, <laughs> just feel free to chip in any time you want, Rusey. Just uh, when Lawrence's memory fails him. Yeah, so Blakey played and uh, John uh, Paul Vanderhaar actually went to Whitefriars for a short time. Um, didn't quite complete year 10, I think. <laughs> No there need. or anywhere. Um, <laughs> Fitzroy, great John Murphy went to Whitefriars. Uh, did he play for South Melbourne and Fitzroy, John Murphy? It was definitely Fitzroy because that's Mark Murphy's dad. Right. And... Oh. <laughs> um, but uh, in my year, uh, uh, there was a great footballer who didn't go on to football. He uh, was taken out of football because he became a fairly handy tennis player, Pat Cash. Um, oh. You may have heard of him. <laughs> anyway, he won Wimbledon in 87. But he was excellent. His father had played for Hawthorne, Pat Cash Senior. And uh, Pat was just a fantastic footballer. You just see him out there. It's like, that guy's going to play VFL. And then his dad's like, mm-hmm, the hands. Better look after the hands, Patrick. It's tennis time. So, um, there was actually another guy in our year called Warren Brennan who was excellent, an excellent tennis player and him and Pat Cash, you know, would play and, like, a crowd would gather. It was very good tennis for, you know, 15 and 16-year-olds. And Warren Brennan would always beat Pat Cash. He was an excellent tennis player. And I, I wondered for a long time what became of Warren Brennan. Then last year I was working for Triple M uh, on Clang. the... Clang. Uh, what's that? Clang. Clang. Uh... <laughs> We've all got a lot going on, Lawrence. Yeah, we I haven't. Just that. Um... It's all coming. The phone stopped ringing, Michael. <laughs> That's why I'm here, guys. Yep. Uh, uh, just trying to keep little... the little flame alive. Uh, <laughs> a little cashy on a Sunday <laughs> afternoon, <laughs> eh? Uh, why see your family on Father's Day? When you can, <laughs> when you can come and re record a podcast. Mate, there's 200 people who couldn't give a fuck either. So <laughs> no. I feel bad about that. No, I've always done that when, like, you know, you leave house and see you later, I've got to go and do this fucking gig. Oh, door shuts, you go, fuck. <laughs> That's right, this guy brought his son, he doesn't He's, give a fuck. Yeah. Yeah, it's perfect. So, uh, so Warren Brennan, uh, I, I was doing uh, the cricket and um, this guy comes into the box and uh, says, oh, g'day, Laurie, I was called at high school. Don't let's dwell on that. <laughs> Laurie. Yeah, Laurie. You might as well fucking call me Graham. It's like, my name's Lawrence, and Laurie is another name. G'day, Laurie. Australians do that. If you've got a bit of a puffy name, like Lawrence, we'll man it up, we'll make it shorter, and just fucking wacky on the end. Um, yeah, thank you. So anyway, Ron goes, oh, g'day, Laurie. I said, um, I, I didn't recognise him. Uh, he has been in a good paddock, Warren. Um, and he goes, oh, it's Warren Brennan. I went, oh, fuck, Warren. I've often wondered what happened to your tennis career, mate. You know, what are you doing now? And he goes, oh, I, uh, I own a company called BBG Sports. 
I went, oh, yeah, what is long? Oh, yeah, whatever. Uh, oh, yeah, what are they doing? He goes, um, you know, the hotspot technology. He goes, yeah, I, I developed that. No way. Fuck. Why? I went, oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm... You've uh, done OK. Yeah. Yeah. Goes, you went, yeah, well, I'm doing yeah. a podcast yeah. on Sunday, so... Yeah. And, and Snicker. And Hawkeye. It's like... <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Pat, you know, decided to keep hitting the ball. Warren decided to Be watch the, man the behind ball. It. Yeah. Um, so yeah, he's doing okay. That's fantastic. Now, obviously, we've got a we've got a uh, huge afternoon of guests. But uh, do you we're want very... to go now? <laughs> Listen, mate, we've got no, no, some no. guests rolling up. So. No, I was going to say that the guests are rolling in. <laughs> we've, we've, we've been privileged to get the uh, the Australian Prime Minister. He's dropping in. Malcolm Turnbull, a big football fan, yeah? Yeah, exactly. He's dropping in. So please welcome to the, uh, to the stage the uh, Prime Minister of Australia, Malcolm Turnbull. Well, thank you very much. Um, I was out there for a while with the Fayol family and uh, they were really cutting up rough. So it's nice to be here. Good on you, Adam, and good on you too. I love football. It's terrific. Uh, a lot of running and jumping and catching. <laughs> Are you a Sydney fan? I am the Swans of Sydney. Yep. Uh, they're a terrific team, and I often go to the football. I'm told by my staffers and campaign managers that uh, I need to go along to identify with the man and woman in the street. So I, I get down there, I go, good on you. <laughs> Do a try. <laughs> Do one and then convert that try. <laughs> who would uh, offshore bonds in a foreign currency? And who would some of your favourite players be? Oh, they're all terrific players. <laughs> uh, Buddy, Buddy Franklin mm -hmm. is a. Oh, you like Buddy? He's excellent, uh, and one that I know. Um, <laughs> a name that really sticks out for me, Buddy Franklin. He's great. And do you go a lot of games? Look, I don't go to Your a highness? lot of games, but yep. I, I am fascinated when I go to the football uh, by the poor. Uh, <laughs> I stare at them with their meat pies and their chocolate milk, and I think, why? Why would you? And beer. Beer's another thing they love. I tried a beer. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> and I thought, this is delicious. And I said, so this is a, this is a beer. Uh, I'll have another one, and uh, then I, I became very uninhibited and uh, felt like punching a relative, so I thought, <laughs> maybe I won't. Thank you, Mr Prime Minister. Not at all. I might bring drop our first by guest any time yes. now. <laughs> we'll bring again. out... Uh, Lawrence Meaf, are you still going to hang yeah. around? Yeah, he's hanging around. Maybe uh, pop into that chair at... Nice. Maybe pop into that chair uh, at the end there, I'm a bit man. sweaty because I went to Carl Chandler's. Uh, they don't know who Carl Chandler is, so... I, go... I just want to sit there. They you... actually don't know who Carl Chandler is. You That's fucking sit... excellent. You sit... you sit down. You weird me out standing up. Why? Oh, no, it's just weird. Sit down. OK? Do what you're told. You're a fucking idiot. Now, we're going to welcome on our very first guest. Uh, please welcome on stage. St Kilda legend, Justin Kaczynski! He's stuck up the back, I think. I was out the back. Stuck up the back. I wasn't expecting this. Keep the applause going. Here he comes. you got to stand for Cozzy, mate. Show some respect. Hey, how are you, mate? Spot on. Hey, Thanks for doing the show, man. Cozzy? Prime Minister, how are you? Good on you. <laughs> <laughs> got a good, firm handshake on you. 
Can we sit down this a bit more? Yeah, let's have, a, let's have a sit down. Now, just can I point out, I never usually uh, am that concerned about fashion, but uh, you have made me so paranoid about wearing runners with jeans that I'm wearing uh, boots today because you have an issue. It's good because Jonas are just unacceptable. I know, Jonas. It's father's, I know it's Father's Day and there might be a couple in the crowd, so if there is, get out. <laughs> Jonas, runners and jeans are unacceptable. It doesn't matter how old, what vintage you're from. No, <laughs> Look that's at this okay. Old. They're not runners. That's all right. That's not runners. Okay. They're not no, runners. That's not runners. Front, right? oh, you're, you're talking about KT26s. Yeah. Like Seinfeld. Oh, like yeah. Jerry Seinfeld oh, yeah. kind of style. Oh, yeah, of course. This yeah, bike's I agree on the borderline. Yeah, fucking. Yeah, get out, mate. Get out. Borderline. So these are Jeekers. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Running with it. I like it. Can I very quickly ask a stupid question, Cosy? Go for well, it. Well, they're all going to be stupid, I'm sorry. <laughs> a few weeks ago on our podcast, we were wondering about do players have email accounts? And so, can I ask, like, we're wondering, like, you know, is it. Was I there for that? Yeah. I don't remember that. That's a fucking stupid question. I just got reminded on the balcony. So, would there be, you know... Oh, you mean at the club? Yeah. j.kuzitski at or something like that? Well, I didn't when I was playing, but I do now. Professional life, and I have to work. But, no, I don't think I had an email. Not through the club? No. I'd learn how to attach something and send it when I finish footy. Yeah. And you don't do it with your hand, do you? It's a funny little paper clip. I'm like, what am I doing wrong here? Well, I think there was an article with Juddy, and he was talking about his life after football, and he realised that he didn't know how to work Excel. Who the fuck does? <laughs> oh, that's footballers, is it? Well, I don't know. Not Juddy, yeah. Now, just to make you feel comfortable today, Cosy, uh, we've actually... This is all catered by uh, Rod Butters. So this is going to be a fucking ripping afternoon, mate. <laughs> So feel free to stick around. A couple of cosy booths over there. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. What was it? Did you know? Like, obviously, when you heard that on the footy show the other week, does that was that a surprise to you, or you, you know, you'd heard rumours? Uh, look, it wasn't a surprise now because we'd we'd known yep. for a few years. But certainly, if it was uncovered back in the in the day, it would have been a surprise. Yeah. Um, certainly, but you know, the, his his story is well documented, probably within. The walls now, yeah. but he's decided to just get it out there. There's something delicious that I don't know about. What was what was revealed on the footy show about Rob Butters? <laughs> Can I guess? Because it's like... Yeah, feel, something feel free to guess. Yeah, please guess. Cosy yes. booths. Uh, people knew and then... Feel it, free to guess, mate. It's OK. Yeah, have a shot. Was, was Rod a woman once? <laughs> <laughs> Rowena Butters, yeah. <laughs> no, he had a bit of a uh, sniffing. sniffing problem. Yeah. <laughs> nice to put. Yeah. Other people's underpants. Yeah. Had a Not lot quite. of had a lot of hay Not fever. Quite. Right. That would so that would ingest white powders. Right. So he he had a tough time. He had to go and yeah, have a lie down, did he? I think he's lost a lot of his money now too. It's actually quite quite sad. You shouldn't have brought it up at him. No. <laughs> oh, is he? Is he on the, the bones of his ass? I don't fucking... Don't, don't, don't make it bad. Look, it's no, not I the made fucking, fucking Rob Butters half hour, OK? Yeah. Is this alive? So he's a fucking screaming coke addict. <laughs> and he's blown the fucking lot. Awesome! <laughs> <laughs> now, just so you know, Cosy, we can cut stuff out. This is yeah. not going live. Um, we, we won't, yeah. but we can. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just behaving because uh, uh, my kids are up the back. I don't know. <laughs> uh, 
Happy hell. Father's Day. I'd love to tee off. Uh, here's so, a word you're going to learn. Kid. Oh, they're too young for that yeah. joke. <laughs> so when you came to the to the Sainers, um, you run a Malcolm Blight for a, a year or half? No, five minutes. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that was uh, it. Was 15 rounds actually uh, with Blighty. We we just got beaten by 97 points in about round 14, round 15, round 15, and then he got he got the flick, which was actually Nick Rewalt's first game. He debuted in Blighty's last game. We got smacked by the Crows at Etihad, and then. See you later. What was that feeling like as a, as a first-year player, just, like, to have a coach sack? You, you, you know, you're not confident about your own career, let alone what's going on around the club. Well, because, I, look, I was only 18, so very naive, young kid, and thinking to myself, is this club just shot itself in the foot? Like, yeah. what the hell are you doing? You've gone out, you've got and got one of the best, most high-profile coaches. To me, he's the messiah. You just didn't understand uh, the work ethic and what a coach probably needed to put in. I thought it was yep. normal to be only at the club three times a week. <laughs> <laughs> and flying in from the Gold Coast. Flying yeah. in and playing golf on every second day. So, <laughs> ignorantly, <laughs> probably just didn't know what it, what it took. Um, and anyway, looking back in hindsight, then Grant took over and, and developed a really strong list and understood that that's the sort of commitment <laughs> that needed yeah. to take us to the next level. So what round was it that uh, Blighty took you all out onto the ground and made you sit down? Yeah, that was against Melbourne. It was... I don't know, about nine or ten, maybe. And that didn't improve things. <laughs> <laughs> Make so, a bunch of grown men sit on the well, ground. And... What did he? What did he do? If you might In be able to explain. My first what fifteen he... games are some of the most bizarre things that nothing got any weirder than that for the next thirteen years. So I got all the weirdness out of the way in the first 15, years, uh, 15 rounds of my career. So <laughs> we we're, were th- we're three goals up at three quarter time. Uh, against Melbourne, we're both on the bottom of the ladder and Blighty just give us the right act at three-quarter time. And um, From memory, David Neitz was, was at the top of his game 2001 and just yep. went to town, kicked four or five in the last and we got rolled. The whole crowd had left and then Blighty just lost his shit in, underneath and said, right, hey, get your warm-up jackets, everyone back out on the ground because he probably knew the cameras are still rolling or whatever. And he said, inside the circle... I don't even know how we got in that circle because the ruck circle wouldn't have been in in 2001. It's not that big. Sorry? It's not that big where you were sitting, was no, it? No, so yeah. I don't know. But we, all 22 of us had to get in the Spooning. circle. And he just... Well, it was, it was cosy. Yeah, it's nice. <laughs> it was really cosy. So, Team bonding. And I can just remember him just sitting there and belittling us all. And, yeah, that was it. We probably got beaten again the next week. <laughs> and, and so Grant Thomas came. He was a board member, wasn't he? And uh, he became Tomo the coach? was um, the footy manager okay. at the time. Yeah, and then... So he stood in with his, with his coaching background yep. <laughs> at the time. Which um, was? <laughs> Warnable. <laughs> <laughs> he brought a flag at Warnable or something. Um, <laughs> Which you rate highly, obviously. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Flag's a flag. Um, <laughs> well, I haven't hey, got one, so I'd, I'd give my left nut for a flag. Yeah. Of <laughs> but it's not a great reference when you say the name of the club, then piss yourself laughing. Yeah, so Tomo took over and... Look, Tomo's a great, great, a great leader of the, of the guys and he got some really solid people and he was a part of drafting... All of us, even though he wasn't the coach. So he got the Rewalts and the Montagnas and Del Santo, Maguire, Ball, yep. uh, Brendan Goddard, all these sort of guys through the door and moulded a really good culture. And uh, we, we had a really solid group there for 10 years. So Tomo was, was great in, in bonding that together. And I think it was, uh, it was like 06, maybe. No, no, it was his first. 
Oh, it would have been 01, his first, first year there. Yep. He banned the end-of-season trip? Yeah, he did, yep. Um, well, well, I come in at the end of 2000, so I started 2001, and the boys had just come back from, from Thailand. And we're hearing all these footy trip stories, and I'm thinking, I'm just a kid from the country, never been out of the country. You've know, been to Albury, though. <laughs> been to Albury. Did well, you go I to was, Wodonga? I was starting, no way. No chance. You never cross the border, mate. <laughs> To get to Melbourne, you're going to go through to Wodonga, you bypass it, go around, get on the Hume. But I'd never, like, I was, I was wide-eyed to see the city, let alone go to Thailand and all these stories that the boys were on about the footy trip. And halfway through the year, Tomo's just said, no footy trip. Like, I was devastated. We're not going to win, we're going to finish on the bottom of the ladder. Why, why not? Yeah, let's have Something some fun. to look forward to. Yeah. But what it did was it set us on the right path. And he said, why would you guys go away and celebrate mediocrity, get on the piss, slap each other on the back and pretend that you're all legends when you've come last, why would you do that? Which, at the time, as an 18-year-old, when you just wanted to go and have fun and... So you had a good answer. Yeah. <laughs> I'll tell you why, because it's fucking great. Yeah, it's awesome. <laughs> Correct. Yeah, and there's women with the penises over there. <laughs> yeah. It's cuckoo. Uh, uh, Tomo, have you ever done the worm on top of a taxi in Hong Kong? Uh, I think it's pretty funny, yeah. OK? I I'm mean, back on bring it, your so. table tennis about Tomo and fucking relax. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm learning. Well, I never got to do it. <laughs> but that was great because it, and that it started was a, whole a good thing. culture. Yeah, it started a great culture. Yeah. Why go away and celebrate mediocrity? He said, okay, well, let's do a life changing experience and I'll trade you the footy trip. We'll get the funds or some rich people to put in yep. and we'll take you over to London. He took a group of from 19 to 25, was the majority of the group, and we went to London on one of the. Um, on a community camp, I suppose, what the AFL call it now. And we went over there and had three weeks of elite training with uh, Colin Jackson and Se Lord Sebastian Coe and, you know, some exposures to some unbelievable sporting talent and how to, how to get there and do it. And, and as a 20-year-old kid, it was huge to see London and train with these elite guys. And Tomo wasn't a prude, so when the weekend came, it's like, righto, boys, you've worked hard, go out for a beer and... We, we grew enormously from those experiences. What kind of well, stuff are you learning? That almost makes sense, doesn't it? Yeah. Still, it's, I mean, torn. Uh, <laughs> but... Uh... <laughs> what kind of stuff are you learning from uh, Sebastian Coe? Um, what kind of stuff would he do with you? Like, I remember just running down Windsor Castle and this, it's like four or five k's of grass going up to Windsor Castle and he was just running beside us on pacing yourself for the marathon or whatever he won. He's a runner, isn't he? Yeah, it's like yeah, 15... Yeah. <laughs> no, middle, middle distance. It's 1,500, I think, if that's right. Yeah, so pacing yourself on a three-minute K or whatever, and, and it was just incredible for this guy. Like, he's, he's only 40 kilos ring and wet, but for him to be able to pace himself at that stage, and we're running in a line up to, up to Windsor Castle, learning to pace yourself in those, and we, yeah. it was all about learning the aerobic game. And, and how did security go with uh, 44 blokes just fucking charging at Windsor Castle? And so you obviously quickly uh, turned from a bit of a, a basket case into a pretty solid team. Like, you are in the prelim in 2004 when you dropped it to Port Adelaide for, was it less than a kick? Yeah, it like, was did you feel it? Kick. Did you feel it, like, just turn really quickly? Obviously, a lot of you youngsters came through together. How, how, how did it happen just so quickly? Well, it was, it was great with Tomo and the team building that he did and what we got up to. We were really great, we're a really great close group. And those, yeah. I think those camps had, had an amazing 
uh, had a lot to do with it because we went from London, we went to South Africa the next year, he took us no to way. China the year after. Um, and he, so he would cop a bit of flack for that kind of stuff, but he's quite innovative in terms of like, you know, now pretty much every club into goes like a, overseas. A community and, camp yep. and, and whatever. We, we, went to, we went to South Africa and trained in a, a little town called Postrofum, something like that down near Johannesburg, mm. and it was it was at altitude. And that was in 2004, I think, you know, 10 years before a yeah, lot of other everyone clubs was doing, doing it. it. So, um, yeah, we just grew and had a lot of belief. And as you mentioned, we lost prelims in 04 and then prelim in 05 to Rusey Swans that were eventual premiers. So mm. we were we became quite competitive pretty quickly. And were so, you shocked? Oh, sorry. No, we, I was going to say, like, with, uh, yeah, I mean, you had a great deal of success in 04 and 05, and then you made finals in 06. So then, then how did it kind of end for Tomo? Yeah, why did like, it quickly? end? Like, you lost an elimination final, but you're in the finals. Like, is that Because Eddie McGuire says the only way you get rid of the coach is if you lose the players. Well, I think... Only we, reason. Well, I, pre- <laughs> I think we probably touched on it before, that coach and the president didn't really see eye to eye. Ah, uh, right. yeah. Um, there you go. Was gonna, who was, who was the president at the time? <laughs> <laughs> Can't remember. Turnbull. <laughs> well, I quite enjoy Rod's company, actually. I'm <laughs> close friends with him. Lucy and I don't mind a little bit of Bolivian marching powder on a Friday night. Get up and about. So then we move on to the Ross Lyon era. Now, you do a fantastic Ross Lyon impersonation. We love Ross Lyon on this show. Like, he is... Is he the scariest uh, fucker you've ever uh, met? Uh, look, Ro- Ross is... Like, you love him, don't you? I was petrified of him, yep. and I learnt to like clearly respected him at the start, and then grew over so many years with him. And, and you know, Ross is in Perth now, obviously. And if he rang me right now and said, "I need you to start walking to Perth," what I'd would that leave, sound like if he called you up? And but <laughs> <laughs> didn't invent the running game. Sauce. I didn't invent the running game. Get your boots on. <laughs> we'll have a we'll have a line off. My one's a bit different. It's more like a. My, my Ross Lyons more, um, you guys didn't play very well today. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to shiver you in the fucking neck, <laughs> douse you in gasoline and set you on fire. <laughs> you can't. <laughs> that was rude. Well, he always had that, and he still probably has, that he can just put the wind up you with that pause. It's, yep. it's chilling. <laughs> it is chilling. So he comes in 07. What's he going to bring to the club? Uh, Rossi bring a, a great load of structure and belief. Structure and, and tweak the game plan to, to what we knew that could take us to the next level. And he also bring belief in the club. And he almost, although he is a very strong leader, a very almost intimidating person at the time, he just was straight on the players' level. And he just was... So humble in what he did, and and and, and probably credit to the bloke at the back with in Rusey, and he just come from that system. That yep. Rossi understood that all the success and the the team stuff is going to come from the players. He would say that you guys are at the coalface, Lenny and Rue and Rob Harvey and Fraze and you blokes, you're all better players than me. I'm just here to. This is your direction, and you want to go somewhere. I'm here to just facilitate it and if you get off the track I'll hold you accountable and put it on but you're the ones doing it so we just grew so quickly as a as a core group of players under his management and leadership it was fantastic and he just back you to the hilt no matter what you're doing if you if you were giving 
100%. If, it doesn't matter what sort of form you're in. If, you, if you're 100%, if you're carrying an injury, if whatever, if you were bleeding for him, he would just go to town and back you the whole way. So you just run through walls for him. You'd love it. And he, and he had, that, he had that, that inspiration to get you to do it. And, you know, then leading up to 8, 9, 10, obviously prelim and, and the two grand finals, mm -hmm. Um, you know, we had a pretty special group under his under his leadership. Now, uh, you've got a, a great side I'm trying to lead you into that uh, if if Rossi's not on your side, you're in big trouble, aren't you? Yeah. Like, if you if you lose his trust, his faith, then you're fucked. Yeah. Is basically... I, I would have... Uh, and from all reports, I don't know behind the scenes, obviously, because you're not privy to the inner sanctum, but now he's probably mellowed a little bit, but... Early Jesus. Days. <laughs> Jeez. But, uh, What's he like in 07 then? But, uh, well, early days, the, the kids and the guys on the probably on the periphery of the senior group, if they didn't know their staff, they were in trouble. You know, yeah. like if they came to a meeting and didn't have the answers and didn't know where they were standing and stoppages and didn't know the opposition inside out, he would ride them and ride them and ride them. And probably for their benefit. Absolutely. Because they were either going to sink or swim. And it was a whole philosophy of act your way into what we're doing or act your way out. And if you kept continually acting against what we were doing, you, you've almost, you, you just, you've given up your ticket, off you go. Yeah. Who, who was the, uh, who was the one that never did the homework and was clearly going to be in the shit every time? Who was the dumbest kid in the class? Well, I'm going to tip him in, but I remember Farron Ray just coming <laughs> <laughs> He, he was in the senior team <laughs> and luckily he could run. Right. <laughs> but he was continuing like a cat shooting razor blades. He was sitting there <laughs> shaking. And I think Rossi eventually worked that out right. and just left him alone because he nearly passed out, poor old Farron. <laughs> he just couldn't, <laughs> couldn't spit something out. He'd be in there, he'd be going, he'd be looking at his notes before the other. He'd be like, what are the three things we spoke about last time? <laughs> in, case he, in case he answered, I'll get asked. But, yeah, it was pretty funny. And what, what happened with that youngster that uh, got in a bit of an issue with, with, uh, with Ross, with his parents? The one that we're going to cut out, this story. Is this what's another Rob Butter story? I don't know. Well, what's the magnet story? So you text me this to think about it, I can't remember it. You can't remember it? No. Right. Tell the story, Adam. Yeah, Adam. Tell. Adam, why, why don't you tell Justin's story for him? Yeah. What is it? The you magnet? told us his story. You'd had a few, yeah. so I was like, well, I, hope you you gonna, I hope you're going to say it again. Like throw the magnet in, in the bin. In yeah, just, that story. In Justin's well, defence, he's had a lot Tom, of head knocks. Okay. What he used to he used to tell you to throw the wife and the kids in the bin until the grand finals over. <laughs> no, it wasn't that. It was a young guy who you guys had then a word to. Then we drew to. the grand final and we asked if we could get the wife and the kids out of the bin. He said, put them back for another week. <laughs> <laughs> there was a young fella who you guys had a bit of a word to and then his parents rang the club. Yeah, so there was a kid come over. Oh, now you're fucking Oh, now you got it. <laughs> so there was a kid come over from Perth and this whole new age kid, the, you know, the Twitter and the Instagram sort of generation. Yep. They get a bit precious about themselves. Oh, they listen to podcasts. They're fucking idiots. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> they tell their mum everything. And yeah. so, you know, he was acting his way out of what we were doing and wasn't winning contested ball or he wasn't making any tackles and he was skirting around and whinging it wise he wasn't going against. So the boys said, OK, this is how you're going to get in the team and started roughing him up a little bit at training. OK, that's OK. So he went and told his mum and his dad. His mum and dad flew from Perth, coming into the office, had talked to Rossi. Like, and now they've got player development, um, coaches and all this sort of stuff. So it goes through the right channels. And 
go, in other words, there's people to keep parents away from the coast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, uh, I mean... Yeah, yeah. it's not the under 10 b Yeah, down the corridor, yeah. it's the last <laughs> yeah. door on the left. Mrs. Yeah. So Fuck. So now, nowadays, <laughs> nowadays, workplace bullying goes through the right channels, basically. <laughs> so so you set a guy on fire. <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> now, that one jumps the development. <laughs> <laughs> that one goes straight to the CEO. It's OK. Um, but we... Uh, he comes over and he sits down in Ross's office. So this is a parent? He's parents. Yeah. Poor old, this poor young fella. And he's not... Um, <laughs> he's not going too well and we think the boys are picking on him and this, blah, blah, blah. And Ross is a bit of a bloke's bloke, but he's going to support everybody 100% if they're doing the right thing and working their way into the team and doing all the team things. If not, you're in trouble. Old mate, the dad, his phone rings when he's having a meeting with Rossi. Mm, good. So, <laughs> so instead of well. just, oh, sorry, Ross, he went and answered it. He answers it and walks oh, out. Oh, no, no. So Ross humoured him for a little bit longer after that and the parents walked out. OK, see you later, Mr and Mrs Heat. See you later. Off they go back to Perth. And Ross said he just walked up to the magnet board and pulled it off and just threw his name in the bin. <laughs> and that was it. If it was a metal bin, it would have stuck to the side, too. <laughs> But upside down, <laughs> if I was directing the movie. Yeah. Should hey, we go to the grand finals quickly? Yeah, I was going to actually yeah. say, is it right you spent most of 2010 with a broken ankle? Or maybe the yeah, later part? Um, yeah, I had um, mid-year what is called a, a syndesmosis break, which uh, is pretty common. It's a pretty mm. common AFL term. Dr that's Peter what, uh, Larkin was explaining the uh, tendon and the break yeah. on the footy show he Thursday nights. That's yeah. what Joel Selwood's got at the moment, doesn't Joel he? Joel Selwood's yeah. got right now. So I did that in about round 13 or 14, and you know, it was it was go see the foot doctor and the surgeon or whatever, and he says... So is this in 2009? 10. 2010, OK. 10, so the, the opportunity was to go and put a screw in it and pin it up and plaster for six weeks. But the downside of that is that your season's over. Yeah. Uh, and we were sitting third or fourth and still gaining some momentum and the heartbreak of losing 09 was still really fresh and sat down with Ross and the doctor and the whole lot and so every, every different scenario. Um, and Ross said, look, if you're willing enough to give it a go and, and play with it, and the docs were reasonably com confident to manage it. Um, so you've got a broken ankle. Well, it's just... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so it's only a broken ankle. Yeah, so, Relax. so they Sorry. said... Um, Ross gave me two weeks off and, and tried to get the information out of it and then tried to train and plastered it up and I sort of felt like I got through training OK, so he backed me to play and we played, played the rest of the year. And that's what I mean about how good he was. Yeah. That, and, and the media was coming for me every different angle, just... And basically all I was doing was being a target up forward and trying to take some heat off Rue and let Rue do his, what he's done. But yep. all my job was to compete, get the ball on the ground. If you kick a couple, well done. And the media comes out here and Ross was just steadfast on backing us and what we are doing and just deflecting everything. And, and that's why he was a great coach and a great leader. So carried it through and it was really what I needed when we drew a grand final. And I had me, like, my ankle was like a pin cushion. We jabbed it all up for the granny. And then all of a sudden, they'd come back and do it again. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. Which, How uh, was that week? How was the week following the, the draw? Well, I remember getting home that night of the draw and all my mates from the bush had come down because get them all tickets and they think, we're going to win a grand final. So they've been on the piss all day <laughs> in the stands and they're ready to go. And I can remember being at home 
I did have an esky, but it was full of ice, and my yeah. my foot was in it. And they all came in the door, like, oh, hoo ha! Oh, it's a draw. <laughs> yeah, but I've got to play again next week. Get out! You got to go. Um, so it was interesting. And then the whole next week was we 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 uh, we got together with the sports with the team psychologist and the leadership group, which was really driven and run by by Rue and Lenny and the leadership group and and Ross. The next day down at Hotel Brighton. And we did a bit of a, a bit of a SWOT and the pros and cons of whatever, what can we do and what's this week going to, how's it going to unfold? Yep. Can we win? Can we do this? Blah, blah, blah. And right then, we were reasonably confident. Okay, it's half time in the grand final. We yeah. Can rock up again. Well, also, because you'd come from like four goals down in the grand final, so it's like you guys had the momentum, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so right there and then, we probably were, were pretty strong in belief. But looking back on it, um, I think the game was probably over before it started, given the injuries and the and what we took in. And, and Collingwood, you know, a superior side that day yeah. um, in the replay. But, yeah, the, the drawn grand final, as, as much as it hurts, is just incredible to be involved in and, you know, a really highly spoken about game. And just to see some of the things that went on that day was just... Well, will be etched in my memory forever. Well, you played so, in two of the best grand finals of the modern era. Like, 2009 was incredible. Yeah. Like, it could have gone yeah, either way. Great, it was a great game, yeah. When you say modern era, are you talking post-industrial revolution? Because <laughs> oh, they're all part of the modern era. Yeah, from the 1880s okay. is generally where I come from. <laughs> so after the gold rush, all right? Yeah. Good. I uh, just yeah. want to get where your history is. Because <laughs> some of the, you've played some of the best football since the Dark Ages. But <laughs> let me ask you this. No idea what he's talking about. What? No. No one does. It's a different plane now. Um, so, three grand finals and not a win. Obviously, quite heartbreaking. You leave the game as a uh, as a footballer, which probably leaves a massive gap. Do you have to actively come to terms with the fact that you didn't win the grand final, or do you just let that kind of memory fade and it takes care of itself? I'd love to let it fade, but it never does. And ten minutes ago, before we came here, the memory was brought up. So with my wife and kids, we were driving in and we're coming across St Kilda Road Bridge here and I look, I look to the right and you can see the MCG. Yeah. And I can remember being in the grand final parade, both of them sitting in the back of the, back of the ute with Adam Snyder and going across and the Saints and the Geelong fans and the Collingwood fans the next year cheering and whatever and thinking, you know, is this really happening? And we both looked at the MCG and said, there's our playground tomorrow. Let's be premiership players. And I'll never, ever forget that. And every time I cross that bridge, you think about it and your heart sinks and you, you feel like crying. And that only happened ten minutes ago. And so you shouldn't have moved to Richmond then. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say... Um... Can, can I just ask a question off the back of I was going to say, do, do you need a hug? <laughs> <laughs> I'll be all right. Look, look it's... It is what it is. It's still like, it is what it is. You can't go back and you yeah. can't change it and you... Um, Today's a great day. It's Father's Day and my daughter took me out for a, a, uh, a milkshake this morning and Jack took me go-karting and now Fantastic. here with you peanuts. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> so is there... Just to go back to the deep pain... Um, <laughs> are there moments, like, you know, is there a moment that makes you wake up screaming or it's like, fuck, you know, like a, a bounce of a ball or a moment that you... You reflect on, you think, if I could turn back time, you just start singing that shirt number to yourself. <laughs> what about that Tom Hawkins goal that was a point? Yeah, like, there's, there's hate plenty. That. You hate you Tom know, Hawkins? Yeah, there's yeah, plenty. Um, that, Fucking I Tom was, Hawkins, buddy. 
was uh, I was 150 metres from that, and I could see it ricochet off the post. But um, yeah, you know, there's so many, so many little incidents during the game. Yeah. Everybody goes to the when the when the ball bounced away from Milne or yeah. Scarlett's toe poke. Yeah, they were critical plays at that stage of the game when it was late and tight. But there's just so many different incidents that can happen in the lead up once the ball's bounced that you just can't really put it down to one. Um, which is what I'm trying to tell myself anyway. But um, they, were, they were great to be involved with. The drawn grand final, as I sort of alluded to before, is just clearly it will go down in history. We, we came in um, severe underdogs. Collingwood were on fire. We'd come in from fourth. We'd change. We'd flip, the, we'd flip the prelims over. So we came out against Geelong in the first final and were underdogs and we beat them, which means we got the dogs in the prelim got a week off and sort of got the easier run, if you can have an easier yeah, run. Yeah, right. And that was the Rewalt Toe Poke prelim? Yeah, uh, that was... Was uh, it might have been 09. Yeah, OK. OK, so... But coming into the, into the, grand, into the Collingwood grand final, um, we'd had a shocking first half. We didn't take our chances. Daisy... Daisy whacked one from 50 on the boundary line and tried to do a torpedo and it floated every which way and then yeah. just dropped in for a goal. And we uh, thought, Geez, that's why Carlton got him. <laughs> <laughs> and then we're like, cheers, we're in for a long day here. But yeah. Michael Gardner did his hamstring just before half-time, so we're one down. We only took one, one uh, bona fide ruckman in um, against Darren Jolly, who was at the top of his game. So at half-time, I remember coming down and, and, and Rue being the leader he is and Ross and Lenny and... You know, shifting the magnets everywhere. I had to go and play on the ruck. Sam Gilbert went forward. And that, was, that wasn't the, the catalyst, but I can just distinctly remember at half-time, Rue and Lenny and these guys pulling us all together and saying, we've been doing this and we've been together for 10 years for this moment and there's no way we're going out without a fight. We're, we're 25 or 6 points down on the canvas, looking at back-to-back grand final defeats. And he said... No one taking into consideration the scoreboard, which is probably how footy should be coached and taught. Yeah. Every level on every game. Do not worry about the scoreboard. Play by play, minute by minute. It's the biggest cliche of ever. But we went out and we did that and we ran hard and we chased and we tackled and we turned over and we just got back and back and back. And then BJ takes a hanger and puts us up. Oh. Lenny, Lenny's never kicked at 30 metres in his life and, he, <laughs> and he, he musters all the energy in the world to bang one from 50 and it goes through... Um, I, I feel really privileged that Gardy hurt his hamstring and I got to play on the ruck and was witnessing firsthand Lenny diving on things. And if, if they were landmines, he would have dived on it that day yeah. with, a, with a broken voice box. He got kicked in the voice box uh, in the first or second quarter. So he Can I just say for everyone, fucking ouch. Yeah. Um, but well, weirdly, weirdly, it was by Ross Lyon. It's really weird. <laughs> <laughs> but that's, that, that's, that's amazing determination and yeah. courage. And, and if, you, if you go back and look at the footage, Lenny won the, the Norm, Norm Smith. Norm Smith, yeah. And they still had to award that on the ground after the draw. And Lenny couldn't speak. Like, he literally Fuck. couldn't speak in the, into, the, into the microphone. So, um, extraordinary game to be involved in and... Um, one for the ages, but clearly someone has to win and someone has to be on the other side, and you just cop it. But you got to 200. You're a legend of St Kilda, so well done. Thanks. <laughs> so you don't worry about it. So never, yeah. You can't say so. It's like, yeah, we acknowledge the hurt. Yes, that is true. That is a very powerful... I think that's a very beautiful depiction of that game, though, and it is a game of being a piece of history forever. Um, we will wrap it up with you, Justin, if that's OK. Please, round of applause to Justin for this week. Thanks, Cozzy. <laughs> Thanks so much for joining us, man. It's very kind of you. 
so incredibly kind. Thank you. Is it? Do we have an interval or? No, we'll get Reezy on here shortly. I just want to play a quick little oh, game. That's terrific. I just want to play a quick little game with uh, yourself, Adam and Lawrence. Um, you I don't, love games. You don't need to answer this question. Don't answer. Don't, don't answer until I give the full, the full options. Okay. So Paul's book here it is, available at all good bookstores. It's actually available up the back there for forty bucks if you want to get a copy before you head off today. And also get it signed because Reezy's here. Sign your get a photo here. with Reezy. I'll sign it. So there's a funny bit. There's there's a fun bit in Paul's book where he talks about uh, kind of uh, as a coach, try not to lose your temper. You know, you kind of keep well, it got, in. He's got the manifest. Yeah, keep it in so uh, like year of the year. You don't of the say dog. something you regret. Yes. Yeah. Anyway. You want to go down there and see you blokes smiling, I'll fucking spew up. Yeah. So he talks about a coach. I love uh, a coach no, just losing it. Yeah, that was plough. Let me fucking talk. He talks about. <laughs> Sorry. He talks about a coach coming onto the ground. Okay, at quarter time, goes up to a particular person and he says, in the book it says, uh, "You see dash dash dash." I've said the word before, but I don't want to say it again. Yeah. You see dash. So walks up and says, "You see, you see, you see." Now. <laughs> really. And then turns around, and walks off. Now, can I play a quick, quick, quick game? Yeah. Yep. Was that coach, considering all the people who've been coached by, uh, ruzi has been coached by, was that coach A, Rocket Ede? Yep. And he doesn't say in the book who it is. Was it A, Rocket Ede? Mm. B, Rocket Ede? Yep. <laughs> Choices three through, C through to Y, Rocket Ede? <laughs> or Z, Brendan Bolton? <laughs> Bill Stevens. Um, I just can't imagine Rocket losing it like that. No, no, my old man is very bolts. Can we uh, get him on stage here? You guys are, what's Fitzroy champion, Sydney champion, Sydney coach, Melbourne, yep. Melbourne coach. How long have we doing, we've been doing this podcast? Four years. 72 years? So, yeah, yeah, sure. From Fox Woody, please welcome Paul Roos. Here he is. Here he is. Rosie, thanks for joining us. Thanks very much for having me. Thank you so Pleasure. much for coming along. Um, if you don't mind, I might ask the first question. If that's okay. Go for it, Michael. So there's a, there's the American radio broadcaster Howard Stern, which maybe many of you are familiar with, and uh, for about thirty years he's been able to kind of get uh, information out of people that they uh, they would never normally reveal, they never talk about in public. Uh, and and his trick to it, he says, uh, I'll get to it, Paul. He says. <laughs> He says, the trick is that I ask the question I want to know the most first, okay? The thing I'm most interested in, I ask that first and go from there. It's a good tactic. And so obviously, if I'm Paul every now and then, you've bobbed up in the news of late. And I, um, I, it's, I suppose the question I'm most fascinated by, um, uh, who do you think will win most improved at the Gold Coast this year? <laughs> and before I answer, my follow-up question is, how much money did Collingwood offer you to coach them? <laughs> Most improved at the sun. Um, I'd need to go back and check some tapes at Fox Footy, so I'll get back to you during the week. How's that sound? And Were you going to coach? Did you get Puppy? Eddie Maguire said during the press conference where he was announcing that Nathan Buckley was being re-signed, he said, we may have looked at other people. 
Were you one of those other people? Did you get a call? No, I mean, you work with Ed. No, I didn't. You I work with Ed, Ed at and Fox he said Footy. that I actually work with him on on every Friday night. So, because yeah. um, we do the pre-game, the halftime, the post-game, but we pretty much watch the football together. But I mean, there's John Ralph and the other commentators. So yeah, look, we we never spoke about the job, and you know they made the decision on the back of the um, report, I guess. And and also because you said no. No, I didn't say no. Right. <laughs> I didn't ask me. I just bought a new house yesterday. I can't pay for it now because I didn't get the job. <laughs> so, working so closely with Eddie, did he tell you that he was going to um, come back to the footy show? Actually, it's That's funny. a joke. It was a decent joke, too. <laughs> uh, <laughs> actually, it's funny, though. We actually did discuss it early in the year when he talked about how bad the footy show was. And it was, right. it was quite interesting to see. So, it wasn't a complete surprise over that... 48-hour uh, period as to why he did it. Now, I've really enjoyed your book. Uh, here it is. Um, you speak mostly about your coaching career. You don't spend a lot of time on, in, on Fitzroy. But you played on some of the greatest forwards of the modern era, so the post-1600s, uh, <laughs> till now. Who, who, would like, who was the best player that you played on, like the best forward that you played on? Like um, You played on Ablett, Dunstall, Lockett. Who was, the, who was the greatest that you played on? Yeah, look, I mean, who was the toughest? Yeah, look, Kernahan and Dermot Brereton, and Kirk Carey. Carey was probably the most. I mean, our age difference is probably I don't know seven or eight years. So yeah. I was playing on him towards when he was at his absolute best, and I was towards the end of my career. Um, but he's athletically, you know, I always say to people, it'd be great to go on the field knowing you're faster than everyone, stronger than everyone, you can kick the ball further than everyone. So he was the most talented player, I think. You know, Stephen Kernan, I played start of origin football on and then against Carlton. Terry Danaher was incredibly under, underrated. He was an amazing player, just one of those guys that worked incredibly hard from the first minute of the game to the last minute of the game. So, it was, look, it was a great era of centre-half forwards and forwards. Thankfully, I didn't have to play too much on Plugger and, and blokes like that. I played with Plugger, which was pretty exciting. Yeah. And obviously, uh, like, you would have played on Gary Ablett and stuff. Was he chirpy on the field? Like, did he come up to you and just go, mate, in, uh, in 20 years' time, I'm going to live with Ricky Nixon? <laughs> and then you'd be like, what do I, how do I fucking deal with that? Like, <laughs> just, just to put you off your game. Oh, there's actually a good story I've heard about. Here we I go. They're, no, no, they're playing. Buckle up. They were playing against, they were playing against Richmond at the MCG, apparently. That was when he was playing for Geelong. And I, I don't... It might have been Kenny Hinckley I heard it from. And he turned around and said, Ken, do you reckon another goal will win it? He, he, Kenny goes, yeah, I reckon. And Will, not knowing what Gary was going to do, and they reckon Gary just ran 100 metres up, grabbed the ball, bounced it three times, kicked the goal. I think we got it now. <laughs> So what do you do when you rock up to a game and you're going to be facing a carry? Like, are there different tactics for different players? So if you're going to be on the maybe a Brereton or a Turnerhan or a carry, do you play them differently? Yeah, and the, I think the, you've got to know the whole team. Though I remember playing on Kerners because it, and, and every and you've got to know the players that are actually playing with them. Because I remember when like Greg Williams would kick it to him like from 20 or 30 metres away. So you'd actually have to know all the players you were playing against, not just the guy you were on. And you knew playing against Kerry, their game plan was. Just just kick it high and long. So you, as silly as it sounds, you had more chance of beating Carey because of their game style. Like Johnny Blake, who I played with, who was a very good White Fries um, player. <laughs> and a very close friend of mine. Yeah, uh, <laughs> very close friend of yours. He was a shocking kick, but they just bombed it all back into to Duck. So yeah. in that regard, you actually had to understand their game style and how, how teams played, as well as understanding the strengths and weaknesses of your opponent. Got nothing. Uh, uh, Damien Keogh was another White Fries boy. Uh, who was? Damien Keogh. He played for Australian Oh, yes, basketball. he was. Yeah, yeah Damien. Had, had some trouble in Sydney He has too. had some issues with his sinuses. Um, 
And now, that's uh, the edit Recently... Point. <laughs> seems to be a thing that happens at White Fries. <laughs> it's probably the white in more, White Fries. More, <laughs> that's right. I've taken it to new extremes. Um, recently on uh, Triple M, I was talking about going out to Princess Park. Uh, I think it was 93. You were playing... Fitzroy playing Collingwood. Very close game. Oh, yeah. And right in the... Dead of the game, uh, you were put down on Purdy, or Purdy was put on you, and uh, did, you kicked the winning goal. What was it like playing on a guy who had uh, turned his back on the club for cash? <laughs> <laughs> no, actually, he'd, he'd done it. It was a sad story about Purdy leaving because his dad played for Fitzroy, and then he played for Fitzroy, and then he'd done his knee, and Fitzroy went through, as we know, a horrible time paying their players. and. They tried to actually trade me to Collingwood and none, no Collingwood player would go to Fitzroy, so I ended up um, staying at, at Fitzroy. Um, and that year, Purdy left, so they basically had to sell Purdy. It was tough. It was actually his birthday that day and we played at Princess Park. <laughs> no, it's a true story. It's so the Rainy Baker story all over again. Yeah, <laughs> so it was, his, it was his birthday that day. And it was a really... I didn't realise, but it was a really emotional day. So he... He played fullback on Alistair Lynch. Alistair Lynch just tore him a new one in the first half and he kicked four on him. Rossi Lyon kneed him in the head at one stage and Purdy Was went Was that before full- the game? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That was at half-time as I yeah. rang off. Just to be um, clear, it was on purpose. <laughs> just to be clear. Yeah, yeah. And then what happened, Purdy went forward and actually they were about... We were four goals up at three-quarter time. Purdy went forward and kicked the, the goal that put him in front. I then... Um, got thrown on the ball and went, ball went down the other end and kicked the goal to put us back in front. And it was his 20... It was his, as I said, it was his birthday. So we all went out that night. And I don't know whether... Do you, does anyone remember that movie, uh, that sitcom Cheers? Yeah. And so Norm used to come into the bar and Cliffy... So Cliffy used to come in and, and Norm says, how was your day? And Cliffy says, oh, what do you buy a drink for losers? And there's a guy that sits right at the end of the bar at every... every um, series. So Norm's turned around to this guy and he's there every... But he has no words whatsoever. He doesn't speak. And Norm says to this guy, oh, what are you drinking, Fred? I can't remember his name. The guy goes, Manhattan. So all that night, Johnny Blakey was telling Purdy, I'll get you some Manhattans all night. <laughs> and we didn't realise, but it wasn't until about two months later, Purdy was fucking filthy. <laughs> at Johnny for asking him all night to get a Manhattan. <laughs> So when you talk about Fitzroy struggling to pay players, how does that work? It, does it, you know, do they pay you half one week and then or what was going on there? Look, because you, when you're there, you actually don't really think about it. But when, when I was you would have been, sorry, I'm yeah. sorry to cut you off, but, but you would have been working in a full-time job at the same yeah, time. Yeah, so what, yeah. what happened back then, we get paid 1st of March, 1st of July, 1st of December. So oh, you get three you. payments really? per year. Yeah, well. So I do, I do remember, we, so when the payment used to come around at Fitzroy, you used to ring up the accountant. And it was actually, it was quite hard because you knew, like, you had to have sympathy for the club and I don't know if there's any Fitzroy supporters here, but it was a great footy club, you know, great environment, but you had to ring up. So you'd ring up on the 1st of March, oh, look, you know, how's my pay? Oh, look, Rusey, can you wait a week? Can you wait two weeks? And after a while, you actually felt guilty about actually ringing up for your money. I remember when I first arrived at Sydney, 1st of March came around, I thought, oh, shit, here we go again. I rang up and they said, oh, there's this thing that, like, they do an automatic transfer out of their account into your bank. And I didn't even know... <laughs> that existed? I didn't even know that it actually existed. So she, she said, have you checked your bank account? I'm thinking, why the fuck would I do that? <laughs> and apparently it was already in there. So, so how did they pay you at Fitzroy, like... In cash in a bag. <laughs> <laughs> they give you a cheque so I could oh, bounce okay. everything, you know, and then 
like by the fifth check, you'd get your money. So it was, it was a good system they had there. But is yeah. it inappropriate to ask what you would have been making maybe in your final year of fish? Yes. I'll tell you, it's, it's interesting when you look at... No, I'll tell, I'll tell you what I was making. In and 1986, when I, um, when I finished second in the Brownlow and probably had my best year of footy of all time. You only missed out by a vote, is that right? I missed out by a vote. Yeah. This, was good, this was good. So the Brownlow medal, which is huge now, but it's pretty big then. So, and they keep the round by round. And... So the last game of the year, I was one vote behind. And we played uh, Sydney at um, Victoria Park. And in all the media awards, I got the three votes. So the last game at the Brownlow Medal, all the cameras just came across. I'm sitting there going, yeah, pretty well a chance to win this thing, you know. Um, cameras and, yeah, one vote, such and such, two votes, three votes was a kid, guy called Smoke, Smokey Dwyer from Dead Set. As soon as the, the word come out of his mouth, the cameras had fucked off that quick. <laughs> It was like they disappeared down a manhole. It was, it was dead set. It was unbelievable. So what do you think? Are you? So who won the '86 round? So '86 was Dipper and and Greg Williams and Greg Williams. But in that, and so in that year, uh, I remember this because I got a bit smarter as I got a better player, and, and so I got paid up front. So I, I said because I was negotiating that year, and I remember fifty-two thousand dollars in '86 is what I got paid. To, and when I look at like a Dustin Martin, how far the games come yeah. now, you know, it's a fair gap between 52 and um, one point, whatever it was. Yeah, and I mean also the large amount of money that Collingwood offered you to coach them as well. <laughs> you've got to think about when you when you. I, I like to think, I like to think that how when. How much was that? Well, I like to. <laughs> I like to think when you were negotiating with Eddie. I like to think that it's like a millionaire hot seat. So. <laughs> If you get one question right, you get one million. You get two questions right, you get... And obviously, then he said, you know, five million for three years. Now... And that final question that was not right was, will you coach Collingwood? <laughs> <laughs> are, you, are you disappointed to finish one vote behind in the Brownlow? Or do you kind of go in there thinking, it's anyone's? Um, well, when you get so close, probably, but... Um, it's a, it's a fun, it is a funny feeling because generally they were. The cameras are right there. And I, actually, I do remember a couple of Carlton players came over, Craig Bradley, Steve Kernan, which was really actually good of them because I didn't know them that well. And they walked over as the dust had settled and said, look, you know, well done, Ruzi, great year. So those sort of things are... Um, it's probably more when you go back. It was a Fitzroy function on that night and everyone's, oh, bad luck, bad luck, bad luck. That's when you start feeling pretty pretty bad for them more so than yourself because of what they went through as a club. But, you, yeah, look, it'd be great to win it, obviously, but not much you can do about it. Because I think you guys lost in the prelim that year as well. Like, was that the... Beat Essendon by one point in the yeah. elimination yeah. final. I was out there for that Conlon. One. Yeah, no, Mickey Conlon. Conlon. <laughs> I remember it, but I don't remember it as such. But... Was Fitzroy a real chance for the flag that year? So that was the year, um, about seven weeks to go, we had a meeting at Wesley College. Leon Wiegand came over and said, look, we've we're, we're got three options. We're going to fold, we're going to merge with a Melbourne-based club or we're going to relocate to Sydney. So that back end of that season, I remember meeting with um, these consortiums for the then, as they were, Brisbane Bot. Brisbane Bears as they came in. So Purdy and I were meeting with them. Ronnie Joseph, Joseph was working with one of them. I think the Scase one he was working with at the time. Um, and we ended up winning about 
six or seven of our last eight games to make the final. So with about seven weeks to go, we weren't... So we got in the finals, we beat Essendon, Mickey Connell hadn't touched it all day, kicked the goal. Driving we, rain. Yeah, driving yeah. rain. Then we beat, um, Swans. beat Swans the next week and then we just ran into a you know, you know, really good team in Hawthorne. We are pretty tired and, and they smashed us in the preliminary final. So not really, it was just a really good back end of the season. Gotcha. I want to take you quickly through uh, Paul's book because Paul kind of outlines his kind of 25... So what's uh, the book about? <laughs> you haven't read it? You told me that you read the copy. Can I actually just He's ask you, why is it called Here It Is? No, so really, what, what you said before was I actually wrote a book in... Um, yeah, I had to write a book in... Very good. I, I'm I, trying I, to answer the I first like question. I but like that. That's, that's Paul's way of going... Yeah. Good, good on you, yeah. <laughs> no, So I wrote There's a book in 98 uh, <laughs> about my footy career, and right. then this one's more about leadership and... Ah. Yeah. Tell your little jokes, mate, OK? <laughs> but uh, you outline the 25-point philosophy of coaching, I suppose, uh, throughout the book. Um, and I'll give you... I'm, I'm not going to spoil it, but uh, obviously uh, here are a few of the ideas. Number one, coaching philosophy, don't throw the baby out of the bathwater. That's, <laughs> that's what made him the best. Made him the best. Number I reckon that's two. also a good parenting thing <laughs> to know. Number two, having your team appear in the footy show grand final player review is a great way to build spirit. <laughs> uh, number three, when Sheeds has a crack at you saying you've only had two hours of joining your entire career, simply pull out your phone and text him, go fuck yourself, Kevin. <laughs> if you ever see one of your players walk out of the room to get a pat on the back from the people out there for a good effort, you spew <laughs> And number five, whatever you do, don't recruit Ty Vickery. Very interesting. <laughs> Information in the book. What do you think about that when Sheed says that? I know it's kind of a bit of fun and game, it's a bit of bluster, but you kind of go, don't do that, Kevin. I, well, Kevin's a... I've got nothing to respect from him. I, I never forget. So when I took over in 2002 part-time as a coach for 10 weeks and then we actually took our young guys down to Melbourne for a weekend just for, so they could experience a week of finals football because we missed out in the finals. So I took um, about 10 young guys down. So we went to Windy Hill and we went through the, the Hall of Fame there, which was great. And my, my old coach, Robert Shaw, was coaching there at the time. So he said to me, oh, Ruzi, look, come up and I'll show them around the rooms. And I was really respectful because they were playing in the finals. So I said, no, nah, mate, it's fine. He said, no, no, come up. So all 10 of us plus a couple of coaches went upstairs. They took us through the, the rooms. And then all of a sudden we ran into Sheeds. Sheeds was about to take a team meeting leading into a final. I said to Shaw, I said, mate, look, we'll get, get out. So Sheeds seen me. I thought, oh, fuck, here we go. We're in trouble here. You know, Rusey, Rusey. It was unbelievable. He said, Rusey. And he said, oh, I've got, I've got these young blokes. He said, oh, do you want me to speak to them? Before I could say, look, don't worry, you've got a team meeting. He said, oh. So he dragged them all in the, the room and spoke to them for like 20 minutes. There was a table tennis room next door. Dustin Fletcher and James Hurd walked out and go, where'd Sheets go? I said, mate, <laughs> he's taken my players into the rooms there to talk. <laughs> mate, we've got a team meeting on now. <laughs> I said, well, I apologise. So it's from that day, like he's... He generally loves his footy. He's just a great ambassador. And when he has little pot shots, I think a lot of it's tongue-in-cheek and he's a, a great entertainer. So, yeah, I don't worry too much about it. Yeah, there is a showbiz element to him and he really knows that. That hole, the jacket and all this sort of stuff, it's in the heat of the moment. But he knows that there's yeah. a bit about show. There's some, you know, world championship wrestling involved in football as well. Well, he does love it. Now, you uh, obviously... Is that... What, what was that? No, Subconscious I was, I was, hand gesture. Okay. Yeah. No, I was going to say, uh, you were coached by Rodney Eade and then you coached against him. Now, we don't know whether that was him that called you all those words many years ago. Because that... <laughs> it, just no, seems... it wasn't me that that particular coach said it oh, to Oh, cool. Him. So someone else was a cunt. Okay. Um, yeah. 
But is it easy because you know, because he's, you've coached under Rocket, is it easy when you're coaching against him to know how to get into his head? Like, because you know what ticks him off, so you can go, oh, I can fuck Rocket up this way. And just send someone to a certain player or do something you know that's just going to fucking make him mental? Uh, More the, yeah. mental? The funny that... So when John Longmire turned up, and I'd been there, I think, a year... So we went into the team meeting before the game started and, and Rocket is probably the best match day, like just from a tactical point of view. He really, he, he really used match day like a chessboard. So he, he really try and work the team. So if someone was getting tagged, you know, he'd try and move, like Libber might be playing and Paul Kelly and he'd move Paul Kelly to full, full forward. Try and, so his whole philosophy on match day was really manipulating the board. So it's really, and I'd had a year of it. So leading into the first game, John Longmire was become assistant coach. So Rocket's on the board and, and the players were sort of half used to it. And he used to have these sort of diamonds and a circle. And so you'd have you know, three diamonds, a couple of circles, and that meant you were rotating with that particular player. So someone would be involved in a, you know, you're, and he'd go through this before the game. He'd say, now, you know, you're, you're changing with him. Um, you're going to change half forward. You're going to change wing. And, yeah, you can change with these three guys, but I don't want you on the half-back flank. So you're just going to go half forward to wing. You can go half-back. And, so, and it goes on for a while. And I, I'm confused. Is he aware he's talking to footballers? Yeah. <laughs> no, so this is what's happened. So, so we've walked out of the room and John's gone... Did you understand what he said? <laughs> and I said, don't worry, mate. After five minutes, it won't have a fucking any bearing on the game whatsoever. Yeah. And uh, how is Rocket on the bake? How is he on the oh, bake? I, look, funny, when you talk about the 25 points, and it's interesting what Cosy said, what I, what I did at the end of 1998, which was really helpful, I, I wrote down these 25 points because I never wanted to th- forget what it was like to be a player. And I, and I thought that was probably the hardest thing because these... Like, I was 53 last year when I was coaching Melbourne. I hadn't played since 1998. I didn't know whether I'd coach in 1998, but I didn't ever forget want to forget what it was like to be a player. So I actually just wrote down some things that I liked about coaches, didn't like about coaches. And, and I didn't want to be disparaging a, about the previous coaches. And I'm sure if some of the guys that I coached wrote some things down now, they'd write things that they didn't like about me, etc., etc. Yeah. But... Look, Probably one of the things that applied was, which I really stuck to, was just after the games. You know, you can imagine, you know, after a game, you've, you've lost, you've, and you've really only got about maybe five minutes before you get from the, you know, the, the coach's box to inside the change rooms, and you're fuming. So one of the things I wrote down was, you know, never fly off the handle after a game. If you haven't got anything to say, don't say anything until Monday. Because I've seen so many relationships burnt after games. And what, ha- what happens with, with coaches is they start off with, with probably the intent of, well, you know, I'm just going to cook this, this bloke here because he's done... But what happens is they just keep going. They can't stop themselves. And then it just becomes... It's almost like a machine gun going off in this room and everyone's getting hit with this, these bullets. But some of the things they say are just so personal. And that was one of the big things I learned from, from all of those guys. Just really that, that time after a game is the worst possible time for, for a coach and player relationship. Very emotional time. Who was the the worst at containing it? Who said the most hurtful things? Robert Walls would have gone hard. I mean, apart from getting people in a circle and beating the shit out of them. Yeah, having said that, like when I started playing, you sort of half expected it, so it wasn't. It was a thing. Yeah, so coming to. 
90, when I first went to, to Sydney, was in 95. So that was, that was the first time I hadn't worked prior to that. So there wasn't a lot of tactics in football because coaches didn't really ha- have time with players. We used to go down and train at five in the afternoon, six o'clock at Curfer Road pre-season. So there wasn't a lot of time for tactics. So most, I mean, Parker was so insane. Has anyone ever heard David Parkin talk? I mean, he's one of the best speakers you could ever, ever imagine. But he, he's vain in his neck would just go... <laughs> like, it was almost like he can have a cardiac arrest. And as he started speaking, he'd spit on you. So you, like, you knew as you got more experience. Like at the start, you're like a little kid. It's like, oh shit, where'd that come from? You know. And then you'd work your way to the back. But, but he was, and he gave me the best one. I played on Max Crow, who was 48 at the time and been retired. He came back to, and he kicked four on me, and I had a bit of a stinker at Western at Western Oval. So he's gone around the. And as for you, Ruse, and it just. He's just so emotional about it. But majority of t- the time, you, you didn't take it personally. You sort of just thought, well, this is just part of the... And well, yeah. most of them, once they got to Monday, yeah. the coaches had pretty much forgotten yeah. it. You're like, then. my mum's not like that. <laughs> yeah. no, uh, Adam, uh, your mum is. <laughs> so you talked about Rocket Eid as a bit of a punishment after a game. He made you guys do something called the Scarecrow, which I'd never heard about before. Yeah, so when I was playing with Fitzroy Walls, he did it at the start. It was called the Scarecrow. So you'd, you'd hold your... Your arms out like that. So you'd hold your arms to your So you'd basically hold your arms out the side and you couldn't... Yeah, you know, it was the last one to, to um, put their arms down. So what happened was this was Rocket's basically last training session. So we played against... And I was assistant coach, so we played against Geelong at the SCG. We were about three and seven, three and eight, four goals up. And Rocket was under a fair bit of pressure at the time. We were four goals up. They kicked five goals in about the last five minutes and we lost. And you know you're in trouble when the, every board member, the CEO and the football manager beat you in the rooms before you can get down there. So they're in the rooms before. So we walk in, players there... And Kelvin Templin, who was the CEO at the time, wanted us to come back and play a practice game the next morning, a full practice game. No so way. we're standing there, I'm going, nothing, this is not going to end in, this is going to end in tears, this thing here. So what happened was we had a big discussion and the, we had the buy the following week, the players were all going away, et cetera, et cetera. So not Rocket, and you could tell Rocket was uncomfortable. You could tell that he, he didn't really want it, but there was so much pressure on him from the club to do something after this loss. We are four and eight. Yeah. He doesn't want to be angry. It's not Rocket. Nah, well, no. I think he wanted the weekend off, so he didn't. <laughs> yeah, you know, he didn't want to really work. None of us did. So just decided we're going to bring the players in the next day. A couple of them had had to change their flights. Then that night we'd had a function organised. The players, I was assistant coach, and I was at the function. The players weren't, weren't going to turn up the next day. I said, guys, you have to turn up. If you don't turn up, it's going to be an absolute nightmare. So the next morning we turn up, and Rocket, um, yeah, does the scarecrow, and nothing ever good comes from the scarecrow. <laughs> you know. So what happens is it, you put your arms out like this, and, and generally because players are so competitive the knees hit first and then at the end of it your chest's on the ground your head's up like this and your arms are sticking up so there's all these blokes lying on the ground you know keeping their their arms in the air and of course rocket you know rocket resigned the next day so yeah <laughs> like the scarecrow if you ever see the scarecrow at a footy club you just say well that coach is pretty well cooked now but they have had a lot of success in the agricultural <laughs> sector so they, there is some good in Scarecrows. Yeah, one, of the, one of the things I picked up from your book was um, you did a lot of tours through the San Diego Chargers, Denver Broncos, mm. all that kind of stuff, and then you brought back the philosophy of train how you want to play. That seems incredible to me now that that was a new philosophy. Like, yeah, and again, as I said, it was, so it's 98, so training 
full time, we probably started in the late 90s. So, yeah. I, as I said, I didn't work when I went up there, but prior to that. So, really, football was getting down. Like, people here probably play local footy. It was just like local footy. We'd get down and train. So, when I went overseas and I lived with my wife, Tammy's family, for 10 months, but I was able to go and it was, it was fantastic. And to see the 49ers, the military precision of their training session was just incredible. Like, every time a whistle went off, they knew where to go. And the whole thing was just game-related. And went to, I went to the Chicago Bears training facility, which was $80 million. It was just incredible. It had a full-size indoor field with cameras either side, cameras either end, and they videotaped training. went straight back into their IT department. So, yeah, so it sounds silly now, but back yeah. then... So we, we got a cherry picker. We didn't have eight, $80 million, so we got a cherry picker, <laughs> and we had our IT guy with one camera, you know, <laughs> filming training. And, and so we started to educate players, because traditionally it was just the game and you take vision out of the game. So we started educating players and we just started to rehearse you know all the game style situations which and became the Nick Davis semi-final goal yeah absolutely and we, and we practiced that and it was, yeah. it was amazing because I, I show I used to show that it was a fair while ago now but I used to show that and I don't know the Swan supporters in the crowd there was an identical goal in the grand final and I think Wolsey was commentating at the time and he said same same position, same play, just a different player. And it was something we practised endlessly. Nick Davis got us into that you know, the next week and then Eamon Buchanan kicked the goal, same play, yep. to, to put us in front in that grand final. And was it so during circle a... workers never won a lot of grand finals, has it? <laughs> <laughs> and was it during that time overseas, we had a guest, Brian Barish, on the show a few weeks ago who was an American fan, of, came over here for the International Cup. You coached the US team in America? Yeah, which was fascinating. So when I went over in 99... Because we always say you've got to coach your own team in your own right. Before That's you, right, exactly. Before can... But I got a phone call from Paul O'Keefe, who I think is still over there, and he was the president of the United States Australian Football League, and he said, look, Ruzi, would you come and do some clinics? I didn't know it existed. So the AFL sent some money over to them to fund it, and I went round, and it was a great experience. And my first coaching gig was coaching the United States against Canada in Chicago. And I'll never forget it, because I got this letter afterwards from a, a captain... Darren Leon, his name is, and he wrote this thing and he, he said he got quite emotional playing, and he, he said this, playing for America against Canada in Australian rules football. And, he, and they held it um, so high and he was a really good athlete. There were some fantastic athletes playing. I remember we, I did one outside of Manhattan and they had to book three baseball fields <laughs> and I coached both teams and umpired the game. <laughs> And, it, and I'll never forget this. There was this, this, this car with a sunroof coming in and the plastic goals were sticking out the sunroof. <laughs> and they drove in, so we played the game. I coached both teams and umpired and they had a barbecue after the game. I could have been in Ballarat or Bendigo. or It was like any country. It was unbelievable, yeah. just the passion of the game. And it was, yeah, it was a privilege to be able to do it. And do you rate that above the 2005 Premiership? Uh... <laughs> Uh, probably marginally behind. Yeah, okay. All right. But we want to know, we were wondering about this on the pod the other day, and we'll wrap it up shortly because we don't, you know, keep everybody here for, forever. Oh, they're um, loving Rosie. Sorry? We'll keep them here forever. Yeah. Okay, they're loving it. They're loving to hear it. We're just getting to 2005. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. But um, I was going to say, we're fascinated by, so you own a property in Hawaii, is that right? <laughs> property portfolio, so how much did you earn in 86? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry about yeah. the ATO over yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah, Jesus Christ. <laughs> So, where's your wife from? Like, you've met her in San Diego, is that right? So, she's originally about 50 miles south of San Francisco, not far from okay. San Jose, and we met her originally when she went to college in San Diego. So, you know the way to San Jose? Yes. <laughs> and you have a property in Hawaii. 
Yeah, we do, yeah. So you go over there, like, during the off-season. Yeah. Yeah, go yeah. to... <laughs> no, you fucking talked about it too, mate, so... No, no, yeah. You're not innocent. You're not do his face. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so how long was the Collingwood contract for? I just want to make it... <laughs> I tell you, the GFC was very good to me because the dollar went to a dollar five or a dollar ten. So I couldn't have, in all seriousness, it was just like the perfect well. storm where twenty percent went down, the dollar went that far up. So otherwise, still yeah. coming up rosy. It's very, yeah, it's yeah. good. GFC so the, was good for us all. We all got a thousand dollars from the right, right government. I remember that. What does Malcolm think of that? Well, I spent my $1,000, I invested in Goldman Sachs and went through the roof <laughs> and I'm worth $200 million. Uh, of course, I'm a Swan supporter. Hello, Rusey. Um, I thought now, you were an excellent catcher of the ball. Now, 2005, that's obviously the year, the year that you won the Premiership, but Andrew Demetriou slagged you guys earlier that year and said, you know, you're playing a, an ugly style of football and you kind of held your tongue. Is there anything you would like to... <laughs> put out to you. We can cut this, but if the 200 people would love to hear that you think he's a fucking dog. Um, We've got Dustin Martin's father on line, you low dog kind of fucking cut you. Actually, I talk about it in the book. It's funny because the only thing that sort of hit me was more from a business point of view. It sort of was funny that it would be like the CEO of, of Coca-Cola saying, please don't drink our product in New South Wales. Yeah. It's shit. You know, like... <laughs> It, it was just a really bizarre thing for them to say. And I, and I was sort of surprised at the time. Like, the commission's there to sort of make everyone accountable, the footy clubs, the AFL. And I was actually surprised at the time that, that no-one in the commission came out and supported the club and said... Well, they want Sydney up there. Yeah, like, it, was, it, was it, was quite, it was quite bizarre, thing. yeah. yeah. And, we, look, and we were going shit, yeah, at the time. <laughs> but, but we were. We were just playing poor footy. But yep. there's a difference between playing poor footy and, you know, I think he said we'll never win any games or something like that. We, did a, we had a pretty good year in 05. It wasn't, bad. Uh, it wasn't bad. Well, he probably had a bad day on the punt because uh, I won't even finish that. <laughs> what are you Insider doing? Info. I was about to say on a recorded podcast. What are you doing so. in, a, in a? What are you? What are you doing in the coach's box in the last five minutes of 05 and 06? Is it out of your hands now? Yeah, and that's why my, my view on coaching is the preparation. <laughs> what are you doing? So yeah, much done. Doing? Yeah, there's so much done before. Yeah, the, the game. I mean, there's things you can do during the game that might be move a player around or slightly change your game plan. But I think the, the great thing, and Cosy touched on it, yeah, like the players are the ones that are actually out there. They're, they're the ones that are, you know, the goal that Davo kicked, I mean, as much as we practiced it, they've still got to execute it on game day. I can't send the runner out and, and put that player there, that player there. That it just it's, You can't do it. So yeah. really, you just more just keeping an eye on the game and then you're hoping your players will continue to execute the game. And then, yes, as Cosy said, I mean, we were, I talk about Rossi line all the time. I mean, that bounce of the ball, I think it was Milne was running the goal. It bounces one way, they lose. It bounces the other way, they win. Leo Barry drops that mark, we probably lose the game. There were so many West Coast Eagles. The following year, the ball was in our forward line. So the, when it gets to that level, it's just so there's so many things in a game that happen. So really, you prepare your team as best you can and then you hope that they execute on game day. With the news that has come out of the out of West Coast uh, over the last couple of years... Hold on, Swan supporter. Hold on, Raylene Boyle. Oh. Um, oh, I thought you had something uh, for, for sale. Uh, no. <laughs> Uh, is there a little bit of bitterness attached to 2006 when you realise that that may have been, you know, wind assisted? <laughs> <laughs> oh, look, I, I prefer to just remember them the way they were. I mean, it, it, they were great games, great contests. They had some fantastic players, you know. <laughs> yeah, I think... <laughs> I 
think they'd prefer to remember them the way they were as well. I think they prefer they to remember them. <laughs> I mean, I just love living in my own house. Now I'm in a jail cell. Oh, you've taken that oh. to a fucking oh, dark too place. soon! Yeah. Whoa! Benny! Benny! Anyway, Manny, Paul. Manny. Feel free to say the thing we want you to say. Sorry. Oh, no, you, as I said, they were great. <laughs> Look, it is generally sad. I think we're all sad for Ben and the, where totally he's yeah. ended up. And, you know, I think, you know, I would suspect a lot of those guys would look back in hindsight. But it's easy to look back after you know some things that had happened and, and what have you. But from our point of view, you know, they were great games, very close all through that three or four-year period. You know, we won one, they, they won another one. So I probably tend to rather remember them as just great contests and a great rivalry. And you took over Melbourne for three years and did an absolutely fantastic job. Was there a bit of you this year that just went, ha, you need Rusey? <laughs> and do you refer to yourself in the third person in your private moments? No, I was... On, I was uh, so devastated. You, you, you weren't commentating that game? So no, I was up in, Yeah, I was up in the, doing the, the Swans Carlton blockbuster up there. That was yeah. the, 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 the cliffhanger that that game was. Um, so we were on the edge of our seat. We were absorbed by the Swans Carlton. Mate, game, Liam so. Jones had one bad game, all right? <laughs> um, so yeah, look, I obviously knew they'd lost, but then I came home from the uh, the MCG. I did the Richmond St Kilda game, raced home, and just watched, lived every bump and bruise of the Adelaide West Coast game. The and Fox Footy Live ladder was the best thing ever. Yeah, wasn't it was great? incredible. Yeah. yeah, well, basically two goals over 23 weeks. I mean, it was indicative of how close the season was, not just for West Coast and Melbourne, but the whole season was just amazing. So look, they're in, they're in really good shape. And, yeah, I thought, I thought I thought this year was going to be still a little bit unknown with the age factor of the team and. I said to a few Melbourne supporters, look, if you said at the start of the year they'll win 12 games and have a percentage of 105, you think you're probably going to be in the finals. And, and I think next year, there's no excuses next year. Yeah, yeah. They'll definitely play. They had a lot of injuries. Jesse Hogan missed most of the year. Jack Viney was out. Nathan Jones was out. So yep. next year, I, I guarantee, if, oh. yeah, if they have a good run with injuries. Easily 12 games, 105.5 next year. Like they are, <laughs> That's they all are you need. Yeah. And, and how are you digging doing the, uh, the commentary? Yeah, I enjoy it. It's good, yeah. Do you get sad every now and then that they don't lay into the lab much? Like, uh, <laughs> Kingy, you want to get in the lab? Uh, Is that the prized possession? Like, yeah. oh, he's, he's Kingy got, a bit he got, of a No, we had that oh, discussion the other day. He got the lab this week. That's bullshit. Because Kingy came out of the lab onto the desk and we couldn't work out whether it was a promotion or a demotion. So... <laughs> We had this massive debate, so it was in the lab the next week, so it must, must be a promotion going back into the lab. But it strikes me as a pretty fun job. Oh, it is. I mean, to, to be involved... I'm so lucky to be involved in football. I played my first game in 82 and to still be involved in football. And who would have thought the industry would got to the stage that it's at? You know, nine games a weekend, they're all covered live. And, you know, it, it provides... You know, we're really fortunate to still be able to work and get paid to go, go and watch the footy every weekend. Uh, and what, what do you get paid at uh, Fox? Yeah. <laughs> 52 grand. I actually brought my tax returns for today too, so if you how want to check... How much is a house in Hawaii worth? I want to ask one more question before we let Paul go. Is that all right? Oh, yeah, no, I was going to say the finals are going to be on Fox Footy. You're not the grand final, but the finals will be on Fox Footy, so yes. you can hear Reese's during the finals. Now, obviously, we talked about uh, uh, Rossi Lyon before. You played a lot with him. Now, I've heard a story. Now, I drink at the Napier Hotel, and uh, he's very, very, very well-liked man down there. Now, maybe you can help out with his story. That uh, It was a pre-season training run. Uh, everyone's running along. Rossi runs up to a young guy in his first season and, you know, everyone's struggling. It's pre-season, it's really hot. And this guy's kind of doing it tough and Rossi goes, oh, fuck it, it's hard work, isn't it? And this guy goes, yeah, yeah. And he goes, yeah, well, fuck off then, you weak cunt. <laughs> now, 
I'm sorry. Could that potentially be true? I, I Ignore all of those words. <laughs> yeah, so. I'm sorry. So, We've said a lot of C's. I'll give I'm you sorry. two. Rossi's, Rossi's, Rossi's a fantastic guy. Cause he, he, but he came from a, a pretty tough, you know, the tough footballing background. I think grew up out in Reservoir and they really tough league out there. And, and I remember we had a boxing coach came in and we sort of all, all boxed. And, and all of a sudden this boxing coach hit Rossi's fair in the snout. So Rossi just smashed him back, <laughs> split him, split his eye open. <laughs> So the boxing coach tried to throw Rossi in the wall. So Rossi threw the boxing coach in the wall. We had to step in and, and separate. We had to step in and separate the two. The other story, I said, I, when I first my first house I bought was out in Park Orchard. Oh, how much did you pay for it? <laughs> I, I can tell you that I'm happy because that was a long. 125,000 I paid for it back in 1984. I put a tennis court in the backyard. So Rossi's Rossi's come over one day. How much that cost? And I said. Uh, <laughs> The tennis court cost me $27,863. And, um, and that's why and Fitzroy actually, went under. Yeah. Uh, and Paul Vanderhaar put the spa in too for me. So, um, But true story. So Ross comes over one day, half an acre in Park Orchard. You drive, we're sitting there. I said, mate, um, do you play tennis? He goes, Rusey, I've only been on a tennis court once. I got chased home from school. I ran into this tennis court. The gate on the other side wasn't open. I had to fight my way back out. <laughs> Tennis court oh. cage fighting. That's awesome. So that's the way to get tennis. <laughs> that could be the next page. McGregor Mayweather yeah. fight yeah. in a tennis court. Variation on the octagon. Yeah. Um, I suppose yeah, we'll let you go, Paul. But so who do you who do you tip grand final and premier? Yeah, look, this has been, as I said, it's been an unbelievable even season. Um, and I think, I, I, the only reason I don't think West Coast and Essen can win it is because all of the interstate clubs above them. I think the seven and eight team probably can't. I, I, having off, said mate. that, I, no, 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 I love, I like, um, I like Essen and they've got a well-balanced team. But it is hard to go, you know, interstate, interstate, which they're probably going to have to do. Yeah. Um, I think Sydney are the most trusted team. If you're, gonna, if you're a betting person, you'd go, I know what I'm going to get week in, week out from Sydney. Clearly, Adelaide have had the best season. That's why they finished on top. And probably the Giants are the most talented team. But I think any one of the top six can, can win it this year. It's that it's close. Gonna be an all bird. What about the Tigers? I love the Tigers. Yeah, I really like it. I've seen a lot of them play this year. I love the way they play. My only concern with the Tigers is maybe they're just one tall short because there's so much yeah. Jack Rewald has to do so much in the front half yeah. <laughs> um, but I love the way they play and I reckon that I think they are a genuine chance some people right. were calling out I think ironically get Vickery back yeah now. they were <laughs> they were they were he's of course he's very busy with his restaurant at the moment so there's a lot going build on. the business up there's a lot going on ladies and gentlemen thank you so much for coming on today and thank you very much to our special Thank guest, Fox Footies, Paul Roos. The book is available over there. Thank you to Lawrence as well. Thank you, Lawrence. Thanks, Roos. Stick around, have a drink. And thank you for Steph as well, who helped out at the door. Thanks, guys, so much. Thank you. And Julio.
deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.